Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Laura. Welcome to another episode of Where Work Meets Life. Today, I am thrilled to have Kaleem Clarkson on the show, and the two of us are going to talk about fighting the good fight for workplace flexibility, why remote work can't go away. So I met Kaleem at South by Southwest uh, this past March. He did a presentation, a panel around remote work, and I couldn't help myself from going up to him afterwards because I myself had spoken in the past on the same topic area. And it turned out we were really like kindred spirits. We had been both advocates for remote, flexible work for many, many years. Let me tell you about Kaleem. He's a husband, father, remote work advocate, and a speaker like myself. He's chief operating officer of Blend Me Inc., which is a consultancy that helps startups and small businesses transform into high-functioning remote or hybrid remote workplaces by improving the remote employee experience. He's been featured all over the place as a thought leader in Harvard Business Review, CNBC, Fortune Magazine. He was named one of LinkedIn's top 10 voices in remote work. Way to go, Kaleem. Uh, He's listed in the top 15 remote work advocates by the All-American Speakers Bureau and named as a 2023 top remote work influencer by remote.com. So Kaleem has spoken all over the place to companies you might have heard of, like Google, United Airlines, Facebook, Visa, HP. Um, But above all else, Kaleem is passionate about work-life integration and the remote employee experience. Welcome to the show, Kaleem. Oh, Dr. Laura, thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. It always feels I don't know, a little flattering to hear your accomplishments in the in the intros. I'm sorry. I have a, you know, I have a little bit of ego. I'm sorry. What can I say? <laughs> well, humility is a trait that uh is really needed in this world today. So, so thank you for being a humble human being, Kaleem. <laughs> <laughs> yes, humility, humility, humility. I could use some. But yeah, it's been a fun ride. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me. I'm just honored you're on this show. I know that you have the Remotely One podcast, which I had the honor of being a guest on, and we'll mention your podcast in our show notes. Really, really proud of what you're doing, my friend. Dr. Laura, you were great, by the way. It was fun. We laughed. Um, so everybody, check out that episode. It's not just because I'm on her show right now. She's actually a trendsetter, so check it out. Money is changing hands <laughs> behind the scenes. <laughs> by the way there has been zero dollars exchange right dr laura like we are just out here hustling (laughs) totally um no there's been no 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 exchange of financials just envy and and what you've been able to do so it's well and we're both trying to make a difference uh in this world in this landscape um and what i've been seeing is a lot of companies calling people back to the office i had a brutal commute today and i blame it partially on that with so many one driver per car going into a a cubicle in downtown uh, calgary and it's really uh i think a shame that we're losing some of the traction that we gained during the pandemic around remote work. What do you think, Kaleem? Yeah, it's really frustrating, right, Dr. Laura? Like, I don't know. It's it's when you think about what we were able to achieve 
from March 20 until April 20. 30 days and the whole world went remote. Like in just one month. So on one side, you have this remarkable ability for business leaders to transform and adjust and be agile. It was probably the one of the best examples of being adaptable as a business leader. And now, just because in my opinion of nostalgia, what we call leadership nostalgia, shout out Tyrion um, for that for that term, give you some props there from Slack's Future Forum. But um, leadership nostalgia, in my opinion, is pretty much the major cause of why everyone is being forced to return to the office. And it's just really disappointing that with all of that innovation, all of that ability to adapt, that so many organizations are just throwing all of that away. So yeah, I'm frustrated. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So leadership, leadership nostalgia, that's, that's really interesting. Tell us a little bit more about what that looks like and what you mean by that, Kaleem. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, again, it's not my term, but I'll, I'll, I, I love it. Um, um, Tyrion from the Slack's Future Forum and Brian Elliott, they did a great job um, in that initiative. Um, but how she kind of describes it, it's, it's, you know, leaders love the way things used to be, right? That's, that's how they knew. And, and I've been trying to gain a lot more empathy. I think that's one thing, humility, <laughs> a little more humility, a little more empathy for some of these leaders because they don't know any other way. You know, that's how they moved up the ranks for the past, I don't know, we've been doing this for well over a hundred years, but like a lot of leaders today, that's how they moved up the ranks. They went to the golf course, they played golf. They, you know, were the chummy person in the office a lot of times. Um, you know, like that's how they were able to get ahead. And that's all they know. So there's a little bit of, I'm, I'm having a lot more empathy for those people, but leadership nostalgia is just basically going back to the way things used to be, because that's how comfortable you are. I think it's been proven to work before and we won't get too uh, political in this podcast, um, but we've seen previous presidents kind of use those slogans of the way things used to be as nostalgia and let's get back to that because today is different than that. Um, so yeah, I think leadership nostalgia, I mean, just kind of basically means what the two words are, right? Like, I like the way it used to be. So let's go back to that, you know? I agree. And I think it's also fear, right? It's fear uh, about losing, right? Losing profits, losing um, productivity, l losing control, right? It's it's fear as well as nostalgia, I think. Well, also, it's, it's kind of interesting because they play, don't they play together? Like kind of, I'm trying not to keep using the previous admin presidential administration as an example, but like, it's a tactic. <laughs> I don't know who y'all talking about. <laughs> right. We're not going to say names, but y'all know who I'm talking about. Um, that's a tactic, right? Like, let's go back to the things the way they used to be because I'm fearful of what they could be. 
right? Like, I don't know what the future holds, so let's hang on to something that we're familiar with. And that's, and that's what I think we're really, we're really seeing right now. Exactly. So this whole remote area, uh, Kaleem, I want our audience to hear how you became a thought leader. What propelled you? What's your why around being an advocate for remote work? You know, we're kind of, I consider us kind of uh, location cousins because I'm originally from Maine, grew up in Maine. Um, and for people who don't know, Maine is the whitest state in the United States, like 96% white or something like that. So as a minority growing up in, in that state, like there were a lot of advantages that I learned, but there were a lot of challenges for myself. And my partner and I, in probably late, you know, around 2006 or so, decided to move to Atlanta, Georgia, which is completely opposite, right? We went from probably the least diverse state to one of the most diverse states. And it was during that time here in Atlanta, Georgia, the first few years we went home to visit um, family. We still have family that live there. And I finally understood what salt life, the salt life bumper sticker meant. I never knew what the heck salt life, the bumper sticker. I saw them everywhere, but I never understood what they meant. Like, do you know what I'm talking about? There's a bumper sticker. It's like a fish and it says salt life on it. I'm like, what the heck do those mean? Well, basically it's, it's living on the lake. It's well, not the lake is not salt water, but it's like living on your boat, right? Being in, enjoying that. And when I first got a chance to go home and experience Maine as a tourist for the first time, I was like, wow, how great would it be to come home and stay here for the, I still call Maine home. Sorry. How great would it be to go back to home Maine for the whole summer every year. So that was kind of the beginning of the thought process. Uh, but it wasn't until 2012 when I went out to a conference in um, Denver, DrupalCon Denver, that I saw a leader speak um, about how he took his company fully remote and how their culture and how he felt um, closer to his employees than ever before. And their clients, they were a web agency, a web development agency, and they had big clients. MarthaStewart.com, I think they did their website for. The Grammys did their website. The company was called Lullabot, that, that the session that I went to. And Matt Westgate at the time was the CEO. He was giving the talk. But it was that talk that made me realize, oh my gosh, this is possible. If this company is doing this and they have those types of clients, why can't we work remotely? So... My partner, she uh, got her master's degree in, from the University of Connecticut in Organizational Development and Human Resources. So I approached her and said, hey, why don't we start our own company helping um, remote companies only? And that's when we started Blend in 2013. So we started Blend as a side hustle in 2013 to help remote companies with internal communications and people operations and HR. And, you know, pandemic hit. And I decided to leave my full-time engineering job um, to do Blend full-time. Fantastic. And it's amazing that you can work alongside your, your life partner as well. Not many people are able to, to do that. Yeah, it was um, a lot of people have asked, so who is your partner? I was like, well, she's my partner. <laughs> she's my business partner. And I've actually had some interesting conversations with people like, hey, we're trying to get an understanding. 
you know, is this your business partner or your significant other? And I was like, well, it's my business partner. <laughs> and it happens to be my significant other. So um, if you haven't had an opportunity to work with your significant other, um, I think there's a lot of attraction there when you realize that your significant other is a professional. And I think a lot of people during the pandemic got to see their partners in that professional setting where you may have never seen them. You know, we've been together a long time and it wasn't until, um, you know, she was getting her, her master's degree where we realized that I was like, wow, you're really smart. <laughs> so yeah, that's, <laughs> Oh yeah. I was like, cause you don't actually see that. You don't actually see your partner in a professional setting. Like, how do you actually see a partner in a professional setting? It's, it's difficult unless you go to their job or you work together. So um, I think a lot of people experience that during the pandemic as well, you know, being able to see your partner working, you know? Totally. My partner, husband <clears throat> of 25 years, I should add, that, that just happened. I can't believe it because I'm only 30. So <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, you got married when you were five. I get that. I get that. He started, he's in a career transition and he started some creative work, uh, from a longtime executive career in the energy industry. And we actually formed a company together. And I haven't told many people this, but it's called P3 Productions and it stands for People, Planet, and Purpose. There it is, P3. P3 or P cubed. So, so yeah, maybe we'll have a similar journey working together like you and your partner, Kaleem. It's not easy. It is not easy. Well, let's just start with that. It is not. Um, an easy thing, but you know, when you're creating a business, you have to build something with someone that you trust. Um, so who else do you trust more? You know? Beautifully put. So let's talk a bit more about the trends that are happening. And I felt like I started off on a little bit of a pessimistic note about all these cars on the road and such, but overall, like, Obviously, there's the dark side of everyone must come back to the office full time. Um, but there's also other stories of success going on. So I want to know what trends you're seeing and like successes that, that you're seeing, Kaleem, in this whole remote work uh, advocacy. Yeah. You know, one, one thing that's not getting a lot of press, and, and I guess I would like to kind of preface this to, you know, your listeners and your audience as far as the companies getting in the press are very large recognizable companies and they have budgets for making sure they're in the press. Um, so while yes, some of those headlining stories are kind of telling a little bit of what's happening in the business landscape, they're not telling the full story because businesses, it's a lot of businesses out there. Okay. Um, and one thing that I don't think has been covered at all is how remote work has impacted the nonprofit sector. And, you know, as a consultant, we're, you know, Dr. Laura, we're out there trying to work with clients and, you know, uh, work with different companies and organizations. And personally, nonprofit work was my first love. I started a charity in college. We booked concerts all over the country and we donated money. The, one of the reasons we moved to Atlanta, we got to work with like some great artists like Trey Anastasio from Fish, Dave Matthews Band, Bela Fleck and the Flecton. So we did some cool stuff. We did a documentary on um, that we premiered at HBO Studios. So like that was my first love, 
but I also knew how hard it was. Like I thought that once we got our 501c3 status, that we were gonna get all this money and grants were gonna be coming in and companies were gonna donate all this money. And that is so far from the truth. All 501c3 is, is an IRS designation. You are still a business. So personally, I was like, no, I don't think we need to approach any nonprofits for blend consulting work because their budgets are minimal, they're low. But what we've recognized, um, this year I was fortunate to be the keynote speaker for Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, and recently for CMMB, which is the Catholic Medical Mission Board, um, I was able to speak for them as well. And those are two nonprofits. And the reality is, is that, and I also had another opportunity to speak in Alaska for like the nonprofit association up there, but unfortunately I couldn't make it. I think Chris Dyer did that. I, Shout out to Chris Dyer, big fan. Um, he was able to kind of fill in for me. But that's three nonprofit speaking opportunities that paid pretty well. Um, and what most people don't realize, right, yeah. And what people don't realize is that when you're in the nonprofit sector, every piece of savings matters. Well, Make-A-Wish Foundation decided to become a remote first organization and they had over 200 people at their retreat and they got rid of, they're getting rid of all their office space because it's a budgetary hindrance for them. And it's worth saving that money for them so that they can give more wishes, right? So I would love to know, and I'm going to definitely reach out to uh, GuideStar, um, because I would love to know how many nonprofits have decided to go completely remote first from their experience during the pandemic and understanding how much that they can save. So this is a huge story that I have not seen one person write about. Um, hint, hint, there'll be a blog coming out soon. Um, but I think that's something, that's a trend that I would really love to look into. Um, and then the last thing, uh, just kind of like to mention as far as trends go, um, small businesses. Like what are small businesses doing? Because we're seeing a lot of news in the headlines, but we're also seeing a lot of these office buildings vacant. So you have all these forced return to offices, but when you look at the stats, they're not actually working. They're not working. They're not working. Amazon's buildings are still empty. They're trying everything. So um, yeah, I would say those two things. Nonprofit sector would love to know how many organizations are going fully remote first. And then as far as the return to offices go, I'd love to know what small businesses are doing because of the um, ineffective uh, policies of these forced return to offices. Wonderful. Well, I can't wait to to read uh, your pieces on that and hear you speaking and podcasting on that, Kaleem. I liked your article on Amazon's return to office mandate. And you talked about how their decision was uh, not based on evidence. Can you sum up the risks of their decision from your perspective for those who haven't read that article? Yeah. So just to kind of preface the article, basically, one of the senior VPs at Amazon admitted that they have not seen any data 
that indicated that they need to return to office. Like there has been no presentation of data that says we're not as productive, people aren't working as much. So I just found that very fascinating. And I kind of call bull on this, you know, like the reason why is because Amazon, they are one of the most optim data optimized companies in the world. You know, when you can order something on Prime and it gets there the same day, like there's so many logistics, hence why they're just selling their platform, right? Like they have data. I just find it very difficult to believe that they don't have data on productivity, office swipes, engagement since they've gone remote. Like if you're Amazon and you have data that shows that remote work is not good, why wouldn't you publish it? Like, why wouldn't you publish the data either way? Because I know you, like, it's, if you don't have it, that's a huge, like, that's a huge miss, like, that's a huge um, miss. If Amazon isn't collecting any of this data, like, I don't know. I would assume somebody should have another, should have to get another job, right? That's like, that's like Uber saying like, oh, well, we don't collect how much time it takes you to go from point A to point B. Of course you collect this information. So I just kind of find it um, very difficult to believe that they don't have data that supports whether remote work is efficient or less efficient. I just, I can't believe that. Or they don't want to see the data because their deep ingrained fears um, are are so scary, right? That even if the data says one thing, well, you know, there's that, but I, I really think we need to be together for our collaboration and culture and blah, 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 and get your butt into the office, right? Or another one that we haven't brought up. I think this is, and again, I have no, I have no inside information. This is just, I'm just like a person on Sports Center, just talking. I'm a talking head right now, as far as because I have no information. But I would assume that it has to deal with their corporate commercial real estate investments. Amazon has a lot of space, warehouse space, office space. They have a lot of space, and that's an investment. So if you invest in this thing, one day your building is worth $100. Today, that building is probably worth $40. So how do we make the value? If we were to sell our assets, we would be losing money. So how do we increase the value of our assets? And I think this is what's driving a lot of corporate decisions. How do we increase the value of our assets? Well, we got to get people back to using them back into downtown and making real estate scarce so that the value of our assets goes back up to when we purchased it. So that's just a, a huge take with no information, but I, I just, I couldn't see any other, uh, any other reasons, right? Like why else? Yeah, yet we know that office buildings are one of the top carbon emissions <clears throat> culprits. Uh, a lot of people think, well, no, it's transportation, but office buildings are even more so based on my understanding and what I've seen in the data. Yeah, construction, I think, construction, what they give off for gas. Yeah, I've, I've seen that before too as well. 
heating them, cooling them, a lot of the offices sitting empty for goodness sakes, and then add to that the single person in a car situation in major cities. On the flip side, right? Just read an article recently about New York converting some of their buildings, and they've actually, I think their first conversion is already leasing space. It's not done yet, but they're already taking people for leases. And um, so maybe, just maybe, Dr. Laura, out of all of this, we can start seeing more housing available in these downtowns. And maybe that's a change. And, you know, maybe those corporate assets, the value will go up, but they'll become livable assets. You know, they'll become residential assets. So maybe it changes. No, that I, I appreciate that. And it, it's about staying positive and continuing to fight the good fight. So how do you do that? How do you stay positive during this marathon of working against the dark forces that are against remote and hybrid work? <laughs> the Death Star, right? Right. I think what you are doing, Dr. Laura, and what we are doing with the podcast, telling stories. You know, um, recently I won some organization put together like, you know, a set of awards. I mean, everyone's kind of doing that now. I think they're on the, the hustle, right? Create an award and a lot of, uh, you know, people will go to your site, but, um, somebody I got, I won, um, remote work storyteller and I never really got into the podcast to, or, or got into remote work to become like a quote unquote storyteller. But it was just a really interesting take on how someone saw me as a professional. And I don't mind it. I'm actually pretty cool with it. Like, yeah, I want to tell stories. And Rick, Rick, our co-host, he's like, oh, you know, I want to be the voice of remote work. I was like, there we go. Let's go. Um, you are the voice of remote work. And um, so I think telling these stories as much as possible is the key because people need to hear all of the variations from the CEO stories that are successful and the founder stories that are successful to the managers that are managing teams to the consultants and advisors and speakers like us to even the end you know to the individual contributor telling some of their their stories so I think that has been very uplifting that's all we can do right Beautiful. And you'd say that's been a lot of focus of Remotely One, the podcast? Yes. that I mean, that, and that's why we created it. And that's why we tried to add a little bit of humor where, we, you know, we're asking every, every guest, tell us about your most comical story you had while working remotely, because we want to highlight the human aspect of remote work, because it's more than just a job. It's not just about are you productive? And that's what we're seeing a lot with all these studies. Which one's more productive? Which one's not? Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, didn't we learn anything during, from George Floyd? Didn't we learn anything from, you know, I can't breathe? Like, it's more about humans. Like, if you are normally making $100, and then you decide, you know what, I'm going to care about my employees a little bit more, and we're only going to make $90. Like, we're going to lose money. Is that such a horrible thing? 
right? Like we're, we're, we're working so, the whole world's like this. It's not just the United States anymore. Like the whole world has kind of started taking on this grind. Like we talked about on our podcast. Yeah, Canada's a little bit more work-life balance associated, but everyone's kind of doing, like everyone has is just trying to produce more and more and more and more globally. And sometimes like with the pandemic, there was a moment there because we're coming off of those horrible incidents that happened in the in the US that everyone started caring about the human again. Oh my gosh, you got sick, you you know like you lost a family member to covid or wow like you know that George Floyd's really having an impact on you going to work because like you know you're scared for your 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 brown child driving at night. We became kind of human in 2020. And now I just kind of feel like oh back back leadership nostalgia yeah yeah you're having a tough time yeah 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 how what are your numbers like and i just feel like you know the person is what is the most important in this and sometimes business loses that sight you know and it's organizations that are human centric that uh that's the ones that tend to perform better in the end ironically right when you're thinking about this nostalgia so much data on this right and it still doesn't doesn't hit home always, you know? No, it doesn't. Um, but good for you to, um, you know, present episodes on your podcast about this very topic and to share the data. And I just love following you on LinkedIn. So thank you. Remote Work Wednesdays. We try to put something out every Wednesday. Beautiful. Remote Work Wednesdays. Today's a Wednesday. We got to check. Yeah, I got to post something. Got to post something. Actually, when this comes out, it'll be a Tuesday, by the way. So the next day, you'll have to look up Kaleem Clarkson. Uh, <clears throat> I ask all my guests about, well, the topic is about the intersection of where work meets life and wellness is at that intersection. I know you like the term work-life integration. So let's use that term, Kaleem. And how does it play out in your life? Yeah, thank you for asking that. So a long time ago, we, my partner and I were watching something, some TEDx, some talk, and they were talking about work-life balance and Jesus must have been like 2010 maybe. And um, they said, well, you're not two different people. Like balance generally means, you know, the yin and the yang, right? Left and right. Now I get it. You can be balanced, right? And even, but it's very difficult to be a work person and then be a personal person. So, we started researching and we noticed a few people were using work-life integration. And really the differences, and we have a blog on our site kind of talking about the difference, is that, you know, we're one being. And for some people, work is their life. And that's okay. Like, I feel like we're, we're kind of in this thing like, oh, you, you know, you need more than just work. Not for everyone. Some people, they have their connections and you know, they are really attached to, and they get satisfaction from their job. So when we were kind of looking at this idea of, well, do I call this, is it bad for a parent to be at their child's soccer game and at a timeout answer an email? I don't think so. It's basically, you know, we're all talking about optimization. It's optimizing your day so that you can do more things. It's not left or right, it's it's together. 
right? Like we're merging this together. And the reason why we're doing this is that we want to be able to have those moments with our family, with, you know, ourself, maybe, maybe you're single and you just want need that time mentally, but like, you're making a choice of how you're organizing your day. So um, we're just real big firm believers that you're one being and integrating your day the way you feel, the way you see fit is really what we're all looking for and the freedom that, that we all had an opportunity to experience during the pandemic. Uh, I have a meeting at one, let me go for a walk at, from 11 to one. You know, I have a meeting at 9 a.m., let me go to the meeting and then let me go read to my my kids reading day at school, you know, that, that is integrating your day. I hear you loud and, and clear. And, uh, yeah, I, I love that term too. And I do not like the term balance. I don't think it sets us up for a feeling of ever being balanced. Right. I think I never thought of that either. Like the, even just saying the word balance, doesn't that mean I know a lot of people say balance is not equal because I've, I've had this like debate before, but like when I say balance, I think equal right off the bat. Exactly. Like I need balance equal. And for some people, that's not the case. Just in wrapping up here, Kaleem, what do you, you read and listen to for your own development? So one book and one podcast that you just love. Guy Raz's How I Built This was just the best podcast ever. And I don't know what's happening with Guy Raz. Hopefully you're okay out there, Guy. But they were just such good episodes and stories, just telling stories of how leaders built their company. Like, I'll never forget um, the CEO's story from Calendly, one of the best stories. So I love that podcast. Um, I'm a Harvard Business Review junkie. I'm sorry. I subscribe to the magazine. I read their articles all the time. Um, and I'm now really getting back into going to, you know, events in person. So I would say those are my main three pieces. Um, and then, you know, uh, what's the pod, you know, I, I obviously have some junk podcast on there for entertainment, you know, um, geez, what's the Jason Bateman, Will Arnett and, uh, Smartless. Smartless is one that I enjoy for fun. Yeah. I like that. Fun is good. If we can't laugh in this world, there's only tears left. <laughs> and I really appreciate your humor on, on your podcast. And um, so my final question is, if you could have one wish for a better world, clean when it comes to work and life, what would it be? I would want everything, every organization to be a people first organization. I would want every teammate, um, every manager, every individual contributor to think about people first. You know, I think that is, I think that's where we're heading. I think as AI increases and job tasks become less and less, we're gonna become more cerebral beings. So what about relationships and people? Beautifully put. Uh, I absolutely love that. People, purpose, planet all of the above and and profit will follow but it if it's the leader then we have problems oh no we can keep talking we'll cut it down we'll cut it down <laughs> yes 
So thank you, Kaleem. I think we covered a lot of territory. The thing is, I could have talked to you for an hour, but alas, <laughs> we'll have to talk again. We'll have to talk again, and I'd love to, uh, you know, continue supporting the great work you're doing and, and be a continued voice for this myself, because I think fighting the good fight for workplace flexibility matters more than ever before. And remote work can't go away because if remote work goes away, work-life integration suffers and mental health suffers, productivity, etc. So there's so many good reasons to keep fighting this good fight. Yeah. And the people want it. That's the other point. It's not going away because it can't go away because the people want it. So it's just, that's what it is. <laughs> but thank you for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure and stay well. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Where Work Meets Life. If you found this content valuable, please rate and review the episode and share with others who may benefit. Visit me on my website at drlaura.live and sign up for my monthly e-newsletter full of tips and resources. I'm also a passionate keynote speaker and would be delighted to speak with you on your speaking needs. Stay well.